Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Ezekiel, that you may know the Lord. I'm in Unit 12. I'll be going over Lessons 3 and 4, starting on page 247. And we are still thinking about the kingdom of Christ, the millennial kingdom, the messianic kingdom on earth uh, with mortals who will live in houses and in particular areas of the land. And we're going to see that in this lesson. In lesson three, we are seeing the covenant fulfilled. And wow, um, isn't that beautiful? This is the land covenant, the or part of the covenant that the Lord made to Abraham. We're going to see that in just a minute on this lesson. So the promise God made is going to be fulfilled in its entirety in the messianic kingdom. You were to read Ezekiel 47, 13 and 14. This ver- these verses give clear instructions for the rest of the passage. List the specific details spoken by the Lord. Well, he told them what the boundary of the land would be. And they are to divide the land for inheritance among the 12 tribes um, of Israel. Joseph gets two portions and the Levites have no portion of land because they're in that holy district. They have got um, a different place to live. And I don't know if I just made that as a note or if that's in the verses. Another part of the instruction is that they are to divide the land equally. How does the word of the Lord in these verses relate to Genesis 17, 7 and 8? Well, uh, this was the covenant between God and Abraham and his descendants. And the Lord promised to give all of the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. So the promise in Ezekiel of the territory and um, just the promise and what they get, it's the same thing. Um, next question is, how does Ezekiel 47, 13, and 14 compare to Numbers 34, 13 through 15? What are the similarities and or the differences? So you probably did see differences. And... I hope you did. (laughs) In Numbers, it's the land of the Canaan on the west of the Jordan, divided between nine and a half tribes, not 12 tribes. And this is because Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh stayed on the east of the Jordan. And um, it was okay that they did that. But that left nine and a half tribes on the west of the Jordan. So I gave you a map with some instructions to mark some cities and make an outline and you already know that there are more maps in the rest of this lesson so the answer key to your outline is on page 249 and um, so we don't really need to do much with this map on page 247. So let's turn the page. Go to page 248 
And I gave you two other maps, the boundaries of Israel after Joshua, and then modern boundaries of Israel. I did this book and this map from 2005, so there may have been some changes since I put this in the book. But neither of these maps look like the plan on page 249. Um, The question is, does history or circumstance negate the word of the Lord? No. (laughs) And that sets you up for the question under the first map. Is there any history in your life that causes you to doubt the promises of the Lord for you? And some people may say yes. People struggle with doubt and unbelief, uncertainty, and just experience, or they just may have had trouble seeing how God has worked in their lives. Um, Others may say aloud, no, there's no history that causes them to doubt the promises of the Lord for them. Um, I I myself am thankful for evidences of God's care, which I have seen over and over and over. In in things that were very challenging to me in my life. Are there any circumstances in your life today that make you think that it will be impossible for the Lord to carry out his purposes for you. Again, uh, there could be people that are like, I'm really having trouble because of X, Y, Z, some circumstance, and just don't see how God's going to turn that around and change it. And there may be some suffering that he's not going to take away. So I'm not saying in any of this that God is going to take away and remove pain and challenge and difficulty but he has his purposes so um, he can do what he wants to do and we need to cooperate with him Um, there may be challenging things that are in front of us and we just don't know how God's going to work it out but we trust that he will And it may also be that we want him to do one, do it one way, do what we want. And that may not be what he wants. So again, there may be a need to surrender to the Lord's plans, the Lord's ways. Just like to give a tangible example as we're looking at the maps on the page here. What if Israel wanted more land than God has um, designated to be theirs. Well, that's not his plan. So they're going to have to surrender to him. That's just kind of to be a little example. Look at the bottom of page 248 in italics. It says, the word of the Lord is true. Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land due to unbelief. So don't let unbelief steal your hope in the sure promises of the Lord for you. If if there is something that you don't know what he's going to do, if circumstances are challenging and you know what you want, but you don't know what the Lord's going to do, it may not be about circumstances. Turn to God's word and look at what you know is 
true? What has he promised to you? And he has promised a beautiful future where there will be no more suffering. And that will be uh, fulfilled in his presence (laughs) after our time on this earth. All right, now at the bottom of page 248, read Ezekiel 47, 21 through 23, and note the specific instructions given by the Lord. So this this is what Israel needs to be looking at and focusing on and knowing that God has promised this to them. A believing Jew today could delight in this promise. And the unbelieving Jews can see this. They ought to delight in this promise, but they don't know him personally. So um, there's a problem there. They're not going to get it until they know him personally. But anyway, what's his plan? He says, divide the land according to the tribes of Israel. It is an inheritance for yourselves and the sojourners among you. They will be as the native-born Israelites and receive inheritance in that tribe. So uh, different translations may express some words differently here. There is a casting of lots to determine the uh, place of the tribes, but... God knows how it's going to turn out, and he already tells us how the lots are going to, the you know, like just casting lots, rolling dice, um, drawing names. However that's done, um, this is how it's going to turn out. And sojourners could also be strangers, Gentiles, aliens. I don't know if there's another word for them. But at the top of page 249, it says that... It is altogether unprecedented under the Old Covenant that strangers should have an inheritance among the tribes. However, the desire of the Lord to gather his people together is seen throughout Scripture. So what did you learn from the next verses? Go around the circle for this. Leviticus 19.34 The stranger shall be as one born among you. You are to love him. Um, In Romans 10.12 There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is rich to all who call on him. Ephesians 1.10 says, In the fullness of time he will gather together in one all things in Christ. In Christ. Knowing the Lord is what makes the difference in each one of these. Ephesians 3.6 Gentiles are fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ. So one of the ways this is going to be carried out tangibly in the Millennial Kingdom is that if a Gentile goes and lives in the land of the tribe of Benjamin, then he can receive an inheritance in that tribe. And I have heard possibly, what if uh, um, an Israelite marries uh, a Gentile and they're living in the the land of Israel. So perhaps that's how they are um, made as a native-born Israelite. My application question is, how does this truth impact your attitude toward different tribes and tongues and races and nationalities today? Uh, No prejudice. 
We are one family in Christ. For if they are believers, then we're one family, and this is a beautiful promise. But even if the others, other tribes and tongues and races and nationalities, if they're not believers, then should we be prejudiced against them? No, because we do want them to know the Lord. Uh, we shouldn't be prejudiced against anyone. You definitely can recognize if someone's behavior is rebellious against the Lord, if it's wicked behavior, and um, you can call that out. But pray for that person. And um, I just think of different places around the world today and behaviors of different people groups um, or I sh- or people and uh, don't want that to be a prejudice against a people group in and of itself, but the behavior of a group can be wrong. Again, we need to pray for them and pray they will come to know the Lord and that we will then be one big family. In the middle of page 249, it says, The lot is cast, and the Lord knows how it will fall. In Ezekiel 48, the Lord declares which tribe will inherit which section of land. And you've got that on the map there. And I asked you to read through that and highlight the location of the tribes. And um, one other thing that you can note is that this shows us that there are no lost tribes of Israel. God knows who's from which tribe and Maybe they'll be lining up in front of Jesus in the millennial kingdom and he'll say, you're from Reuben, go north. You're from Issachar, go south. And they'll go and be where they're supposed to be. In the middle of this, we also noted again the holy portion, the holy district. The question at the bottom of 249 says, slowly read it. I mark the word holy, locate the holy district on the map. What is the land of the holy district used for? In the ESV, it's called open country. And in the midst of the open country is the city. And the city will have open land. And produce shall be for the workers of the city. And then this is interesting too. We don't want to miss this point. Workers of the city from all the tribes of Israel shall till it and we're not told exactly how that's going to work do they come in for a little while um do that do different people from people from different tribes come in once a year for a year and live there for a year is it their permanent place for a thousand years anyway the city of jerusalem belongs to all the tribes of israel not just one tribe. You can see the holy portion isn't in the allotment that belongs to Judah. It is not in the allotment that belongs to Benjamin. So it it belongs to the Lord and all the tribes of Judah serve there. So you also can see that it belongs to all the tribes of Israel. Now on the next page, we're going to talk about gates. The gates were a representation of the glory of the city in old times. And there's a lot of description about gates just to help you get your mind wrapped around gates. And then um, at the bottom of the page, you were to read Ezekiel 48, 30 through 34 and list the details given regarding the gates. 
I drew a picture and put um, Reuben and Judah and Levi on the north, Joseph and Benjamin and Dan on the east, Simeon, Issachar, and Zebulon on the south, Gad and Asher and Naphtali on the west. Oh, the ESV calls these exits, not gates. Um, also, if you are kind of thinking about the north, east, south, and west locations of these names of the gates, it coordinates with whether their tribal allotments were to the north or the south. So there's that one thing. And then it's also very orderly because they are grouped together according to who their mother was. Jacob's wife, Leah, had Reuben, Judah, and Levi. And on the east side, Joseph and Benjamin were um, of sons of Rachel. Dan was a son of Rachel's maid, Bilhah. Simeon, Issachar, and Zebulun were sons of Leah. Gad, Asher, and Naphtali were from Leah's maid, Zilpah, uh, Gad. Asher is from Leah's maid, Zilpah, and Naphtali is from Rachel's maid, Bilhah. So there's just a, um, there's a connection even to how they're assigned. So that's kind of interesting. Um, page 251, did you notice a difference in the listing of the tribes of Israel compared to the list of the tribes that inherit the equal sections of the land? And actually, I, I kind of got that wrong, that question wrong. The gates are listed as the sons of Jacob and the land is listed according to how the tribes are known because and that's 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 what the difference is <laughs> um, Joseph is named with the gate instead of Ephraim and Manasseh Ephraim and Manasseh are known as the tribes and there are two tribes from Joseph Ephraim and Manasseh because Levi doesn't get a portion of land. So when you take Levi away, you need a substitute. So Joseph provides two and Levi's gone. Next question. We've seen throughout our look at the millennial kingdom that the Lord's plans fulfill his promises spoken through Moses before the Israelites ever entered the promised land. What do you learn from Deuteronomy 31, 10 through 13? The promise was that all Israel would come to appear before the Lord. The law will be read before them. Everyone would gather, even, and strangers would gather in the gates and that they would hear the law of the Lord and learn to fear the Lord and obey his law. So, you know, looking at everything that's being talked about here in the future, we can see that this is going to be fulfilled. It's wonderful. What did you learn from Psalm 27, 24, 7 through 10? What did it describe? Or what did it tell? Lift up your heads, O you gates, and the King of glory shall come in. 
He is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord of hosts. What do the gates represent here? The people! Lift up your heads, people! The King of glory shall come in. But you you get the, the sense, the understanding that the Lord's going to come in through the gate. The eastern gate. But maybe Jesus is going to come walking around and come through each one of these gates. Why not? He can go wherever he wants to go. Nowhere in the prophecy of Ezekiel 40 through 48 have we seen the city called Jerusalem um, in these last eight chapters or nine chapters, 40 through 48. The city has been referred to as the city. And we get the name at the very end. What is the name of the city after the Lord returns to it? Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is there. The name of the city from that time on, the Lord is there. Feels like we're at the end of the, the um, book, doesn't it? But there's one more lesson. And we see in the kingdom of Christ, the Lord is there. So lesson four, page 252. If you need to read this again, you may not need to, but under the fill in the blank, Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. Not only is this the name of the city when the Lord returns, but it's one of the names of the Lord. He is our omnipresent God. He is there wherever we go, anywhere, everywhere. What do you learn about the presence of the Lord according to the following verses? Psalm 139, 7 through 13. I, the, I just summarized. No matter where I am, the Lord is there. I cannot flee from his presence. Heaven, hell, east, west, dark or light. He formed me and covered me in my mother's womb. So everywhere he is there. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24 says he is near and far. I cannot hide from him. God sees me. God fills the heaven and the earth. In the middle of the next paragraph, if the Lord is always present everywhere, then why the special name for the city in the future? Remember, Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord leave the temple, and then he saw the glory of the Lord return as the fulfillment of his covenant to be their God and dwell among them. The Lord is present everywhere, but there's also a special manifestation of his Shekinah glory, which will return to Jerusalem in that day. At the top of page 253, what do you learn about the presence of the Lord from the following verses? How is this manifested? So maybe go around the circle. These are not hard to answer, but I do want you to make sure that you, they capture and they bring up and you emphasize the idea of the Lord's presence with us. That's the key phrase. He is with us. And that shows up in each one of these verses. Matthew one twenty three, Mary's son, Jesus, is Emmanuel, God with us. John 14, 18 through 20. This one may have been more challenging, so they probably just wrote the verse out, which is fine. Jesus lives and he came to us. Jesus is in the Father, and I am in Jesus, and he is in me. So he is with me, and the Father is with me because Jesus is with me. 
Acts 18, 9 and 10, the Lord told Paul, I am with you. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 covers everybody <laughs> in the Trinity. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Spirit be with you. And he is. He is with me. 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul said, The Lord stood with me. And I drew an arrow just to the last phrase in my italicized um, paragraphs. He is here. The Lord is with us. Because you're not a Christian if he's not in you by his Holy Spirit. So he is with you. How would you describe experiencing the presence of the Lord? I stopped and paused to really think about what this means when I um, just know, when I remember and reflect on the truth that Jesus is with me. It's heartwarming. Um, That sounds mushy, but being aware of his presence is so deeply moving and comforting and encouraging and affirming. Um, being conscient, conscious of his presence is knowing his love and approval. And that is rewarding and motivating and it's delightful. Makes me worship him and be so thankful, which is what we are seeing in the next verses. What attitudes and actions are described in the following Psalms regarding being in the presence of the Lord? Psalm 1611 says, In his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forever. Psalm 95 2, attitudes and actions, thankfulness, joyful shouting. I've got hip, hip, hooray which sounds really nothing, but it was uh, just my thought of joyful shouting in that moment. Wait till you hear what's next. Psalm 102 is gladness and singing. That's the attitude and action. And the song that came to mind of gladness and singing, just delight, was zippity-doo-dah. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. just for fun, just rejoicing and being glad and singing with the Lord and knowing his presence. I love the line says, Mr. Bluebird's on my shoulder, but I need to think, when I think about that, I'm going to think about the presence of the Lord with me. I wrote here, there certainly will be times when we will not feel the presence of the Lord. This does not mean that he has left us. During these times, we must cling to the truth given to us in God's word. And that's what I directed you to at the top of page 254. What are the truths in Exodus and Matthew and Acts? Exodus 33. Moses said, I have, well, huh. You know what? I personalized this. Moses was talking. He wanted the Lord to show himself. Um. But I just, I can only write, I can only tell you what I wrote. I have found grace from the Lord. He shows me his way. I know him. And his promise is, his presence will go with me and give me rest. 
In Matthew 28, 20, I also personalize this one. Jesus is always with me, even to the end of the age. And Acts 3.19, times of refreshing come from the Lord. Now we're coming to the close here. And um, just a bit of a summary of Ezekiel in the second italicized paragraph. And the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. He experienced the presence of the Lord in all of his glory. He experienced the presence of the Lord in the power of the Spirit. He experienced the presence of the Lord as he received visions of the new covenant and the shepherd king. So that was focusing on the presence of the Lord. And then uh, my last two questions are reflections on the study. What is your favorite verse from the book of Ezekiel? I had more than one, of course. I had Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel 17, 22 through 24, the majestic cedar on the high mountain. That's Jesus. Ezekiel 43, 1 through 5, the glory of the Lord returning to the temple and his glory filling the temple. Ezekiel 1, 26 through 28, all about the glory of the Lord. And Ezekiel 37, because the Lord caused breath to enter those dead bodies and he gives life. How have you experienced the presence of the Lord during your time in his word? How have you come to know the Lord? So I just wrote some things that I was thankful for um, through the course of this study this year. He's had perfect timing for me for things. (laughs) I have had some strange experiences like Ezekiel did when I had no voice and I had to go to jury duty. Um, I have also experienced the love of the Lord through his word and through the ladies in this group. And especially when we had Valentine's Day together, that was um, just a special treat in the middle of this study. And um, the Lord has taught me new things throughout this study. So I am thankful for his presence and his work in my life as it has been delightful to go through the book of Ezekiel again. And I thank you for leading through it diligently and um, caring for the ladies in your group. That's all. That's the end of our, my discussions about Ezekiel. Thank you. Thank you.